right now. I'm obviously in Little Rock. And uh, obviously, I'm not originally from there. A lot of you know who I am. And I used to be in the Southwest for about eight years. And um, I'm going to get some people up to speed what has happened over the last five years. Let's see if we, this works. But I do have an announcement before I start. And uh, a new development happened in the east region of the uh, Dallas church. We actually have the TTT Club. Now, Gordon Ferguson, back in Boston, started a club. It was called the BBB Club. It was called the Big Black Brothers Club. And I was the first inductee to that club. But even when I was there, they doubted my blackness. Yes, they did. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So this week, I dropped my daughter off at uh, the preteen camp. That was a seven-hour drive. Then I drove up three hours to... Uh, to Dallas and hung out in the South. Then I also spent some time with the Fergusons. And one of the traditions that uh, myself and Teresa have is like we like to have a tea time. Now, I don't think the Black Brothers would appreciate that, but I don't care. Because I'm English, white, and I'm black. And I'm conflicted. Yes, Gordon, conflicted. So the TTT Club is the Teresa Tea Time. And this is our little setup. Yes, we had cucumber sandwiches. Thank you, thank you. So we got some fans of cucumber sandwiches. I'm winning over the crowd. I actually bought some tea. Uh, from Buckingham Palace, there is a special blend. And I brought that all the way from Little Rock, Arkansas. <laughs> and Teresa laid out all the table and everything. I also had some English biscuits. And this is uh, Teresa and I. And if you see my little pinkies up in the air. And actually, I played on Spotify. I found a song. It was Two for Tea. And it goes like this. Two for tea and tea for two. La di da di da di da. So to, this week, you've witnessed the beginning of the TTT Club. Thank you very much. Turn your Bibles to Matthew 14 or whatever kind of app you have or whatever kind of medium. There you go. Old school. Old school Bible. We're going to look at an oldie but goodie. Peter walking on water. Wow. A parallel scripture says this, he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by. Now, I want you to understand that 
the two words right there, pass by, okay? We're going to come back to that later. So what, what, what are the two words? Pass by. This, this is a good crowd. A lot better than last week. <laughs> but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they saw him and were terrified. And immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Now it's kind of interesting here in this story is that the disciples were fighting against the storm and could not see Jesus. I don't know, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of weird. I, I, I put myself in the boat sometimes. And I describe myself, I say, okay, what are they doing? They're straining at the oars. So they're, they're, they're literally doing this and, and, and just getting their back in and their head is down. And, and they don't see Jesus passing them by. And some of us are like that in life. We're straining at the oars of life. The winds and the waves and the worries of life that we do not see Jesus. A lot of us, the only time when we put God in our lives is when we're here on a Sunday morning and on a Wednesday evening. The rest of the time we are straining at the oars of life. And even if Jesus was right there, passing by, you would not see him. And I believe that Jesus is is about and passing by in our lives every single day. But how you conduct your life will tell you if you see him or not. And you will see great miracles, even walking on water. But when you look at your life, do you look up? And see Jesus. Or are you so consumed about life's riches, worries, and pleasures and straining through life that you don't see? Actually, I was in a similar predicament. I already touched on this. In 2010, I felt my life was getting very predictable. At that time, I was leading a group here in the church. I was here for eight years, and sometimes, I don't know, I get kind of antsy. You ever do that? And I was getting antsy, and my wife was actually worried about me because she was like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I just, this, I'm just frustrated. I just don't know what to do. I didn't, mm. Things are going relatively well in the ministry. The, the group was growing, but I just wanted more. Is this life? And I also believe that my faith was stagnant. It's tough when you're a minister and you say, my faith is stagnant. When you have to get up to five, four or five hundred people. Every Sunday. And you feel like your faith is stagnant. That's an issue. (laughs) 
So at 45 years old, I quit my job. And unfortunately, my wife was working in the ministry too. She had to come with me. Oh. Oops. <laughs> my children were 8 and 11 at the time. We decided through a lot of praying, wrestling, sometimes that was the only place that wanted us. <laughs> or we could go in some ways. Because I didn't think that other opportunities were where I needed to take my faith. So we decided to go back to my hometown. As you see, I have an accent. I'm not from these parts. Y'all. So we decided to go to England. We had nowhere to stay. We had no mission funding. Like ongoing mission funding. Very important. The church here helped us a little bit. But as far as ongoing living expenses or monthly income, we had nothing. We had no jobs to go to. Oh, I was in a recession. Did I tell you that? I was in a recession. So we moved to Norwich in August 2011. And actually, there was someone that came out. My hometown was actually the most godless city in the United Kingdom. Whoopee! Actually, in England, only about 3% of the population believe in Jesus. So you have 97% of the people that, for one reason or another, do not believe in Jesus. On top of everything else we had going, that too. In 2010, we sold our stuff. I said this at the midweek, so if you missed the midweek, we are back now. So if you were there at the garage sale and you took our stuff, it was on loan and we want it back. I've got a U-Haul in the parking lot. I, can, I know where you live. I know where you live. <laughs> so we sold everything and we boiled a 2,800 square foot home into 10 suitcases. I thought the young people should do this suitcase challenge. I mean, some young folk will have trouble filling a suitcase. But the church there started with four people. This is some of the baptisms that we had. I'll just go through them quickly. We had three baptisms on one day once. It was kind of cool. Actually, the, this guy right here actually came to church, and, and, and England is, especially where I'm from, most people are non-believers. They have no consciousness of God or whatsoever. Joe actually said, you know what? I will never believe in God. God softened his heart, and one month later, he was baptized. There's some other baptisms. Actually, we had bap- people baptizing, baptizing other people. It's kind of called cool. generational baptisms. It can happen, it can happen, it can happen. I'll just keep on going. And we uh, did all this in, in, in houses. 
I mean, that's a small house, but we packed so many people in there. It was cozy. <laughs> Very intimate. And this is an overview of last summer. We only came back last summer. I mean, sometimes when we get up here, we share miracles that happened 20 years ago. Or stuff happened when you were a campus or campus or a teen. I don't know where you're sitting. Let me shift around and stuff. But God blessed it. We had, we had our neighbors baptized. I had four of my clients. Actually, over there, I, I started a counseling practice. It's kind of interesting. You're working. You're setting up your own business. And also, God gave me the ability to lead a mission team, too. It can be done. We went from one to three house churches. We raised up local leaders, singles and campus ministry, and also we had our first wedding. This is how we left, and this is how we came back. A little bit grayer and fatter, and my kids grew up. (laughs) And if you want to know more about our story, um, oh, my book's out. Yeah. It's about, uh, the latter part of it is about the mission. Okay. Are you in Matthew 14? That's some good stuff, huh? Sometimes you have to look at your life and ask yourself, am I getting out of the boat? I do believe there's two types of people. There's people in the boat and people outside the boat. There's two types of people. I believe in this audience there's two types of people. People in the boat and people outside the boat. And we're going to break it this down in this passage. Amen? In Matthew 14, in verse 25, it says, During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the winds and the waves, he was afraid. And and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when he climbed into the boat, the wind died down. How many people would actually say that Peter failed here? Just a show of hands. Anybody? Well, the the ones, they were like, this is a trick. Don't put your (laughs) hand up. I saw a husband reach out, get your hand down. (laughs) It's a trick. It's one of them minister tricks. (laughs) But he drowned. But he drowned. He got wet. He was scared by the wind and the waves.
He did walk on water. Have you done that lately? (laughs) This is interesting. He understands his human limitations. It's interesting about this passage. Because if you understand Peter's nature, he never did anything. He did everything with emotion. If we look at interactions with Jesus, when he rebuked Jesus, he didn't think about it. He didn't get a clarification if Jesus was sinful by talking about his death. He just rebuked him. Some, he was spontaneous, erratic in his thought. He, he lived by his feelings. He didn't have any filter up there. He was like, you're in sin, I'm going to rebuke you. I'll say it and regret it later. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> I think I did something wrong. Oops. And the other thing that stands out to me when he was in the, the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't know why they gave Peter a sword. Why would you give a hothead a sword? Really? Give it to Thomas and he'd be like, well, I, I, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Should I, should I, should I, should I? What do you think? What do you think? Really? (laughs) So Peter never asked permission for nothing. He did first and lived with the consequences later. But the interesting about this story, he asked Jesus, should he come? And I asked myself, why? Because he knew it was humanistically impossible to walk on water. And he could not do that without God. See, a lot of us live by our humanism. And we feel that we can do it. In John 5, it says, Jesus understood that he can do nothing without the Father. He was prayerful about everything. Peter couldn't protect Jesus, even if he had a sword or not. But he thought he could. In his man pride. But he knew walking on water, if I was going to do this, God has got to intervene because this is above my flesh. But how many of us live in our flesh day in and day out and understand that you can do nothing without God? You can't even get out of that chair, breathe another breath, go out of this door, drive your car, go to lunch if God so sees fit. 
the only time I believe in the, old gospel, the whole gospel that he waited for Jesus to direct him. <laughs> and my question is, how many times have we read this scripture and not seen a defining moment in Peter's life? Not that he walked on water. Yes, he waited for direction from Jesus. I believe Peter drew closer to Jesus because he had an experience that the boulders never had. How can you explain when you're walking on water and the only thing that you see, for a minute anyway, was Jesus? That is an experience that... So It's like, even like the last four or five years, I can't explain what God did. I cannot even verbalize it because God was in it all the way. Leaving with no jobs, no money, ten suitcases, two young kids, nowhere to go, nowhere to stay, no jobs. How can you do that without God? It's either God or you're absolutely stupid. But I'm still here. I got clothes on my back. Got a shoe. I got shoes on. I got a car that's overheating. And I got a five-hour drive back to Little Rock. But we will get there with a lot of prayer. Also, he had a glimpse of God's power, understanding that he could walk on water. But also those who get out of the boat live an exhilarating life. And also one of the things that is opposite to this, if we're building a risk-proof life, we do not have a need for God. There's so many safety nets in America from unemployment benefits to social security to, to savings to 401ks to health insurance, car insurance. We have so many things to stop risk in our lives. Where is there room for faith? Where is there room for God in your life? People that want no risk stay in the boat. People want an invigorating life. Get out of the boat. The point here is if you're going to get on the boat, out of the boat, you're going to get wet a little bit. I shared this story with, with uh, Gordon and Teresa. I hadn't shared it in a while, so I put it in the sermon. Actually, we, uh, once when we packed everything up, we sold everything. We had a 10 suitcases. We arrived in England, and I'm like, I'm an English citizen, except me. And here's my family. But there's one small detail that I overlooked. I'm British, but they're not. So I'm filling out the paperwork, and it's, it says, how long are you going to stay there? I don't know, probably to get the church going, maybe three to four years. So I fill out all this paperwork, go up to the immigration counter, put it in. I'm Marvin from England. I'm back. I know you missed me. I know you did. So she's going for it. She's... She says, uh, oh, passports, okay. Uh, 
You want to you stay here for three or four years? Yeah. She's looking for the pot. She says, where are your visas? I thought I didn't need any. I'm Marvin from England. I'm back. <laughs> We're on a mission. God is with me. Come on, let me in. She looked at the paperwork. She said, you can stay today, but your wife and two kids are going back. We sold everything. There's nothing to go back to. You took all my stuff. Yeah, I know who you are. I want a bat. Well, I'm, I, free will offering. There you go. whole hour process. Just to... And then actually the woman that was kind of mediating for us, she went to my hometown's university. And she was Christian believing, which is like rolling a dice in England. You're like, thank you, Jesus. And she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm here, you know, church and my hometown. And da, da, da. She said, I went to Norwich. I said, really? She said, university? I said, yeah. She's She's some African descent. She said, you know, you know let, let, me, let me go and work on some things. Long story short, they sent us through. But there was a moment there for about an hour. I'm like, we are going home. But sometimes, guess what? When you get out of the boat, you're going to get wet. <laughs> That's not what I envisioned. But God still works through my stupidity. Also, the children's transition, especially being at that age. I'll just move quickly. It took us eight months to have our first baptism. That's tough. We had ongoing financial challenges. Out of 46 months we were there, there was not one month that our income equaled our outgoings. But God took care of us every single time. Another thing is my wife has depression. Especially over there, she had seasonal depression because it gets dark at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And there were some days she didn't even want to get out of bed. It's not all roses. Oh, house stretchers, campus ministry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we sold everything and came back with Nothing. And the irony of that is, the car that we, everything that we got rid of, we gave it to a newly wedded couple in the church because they had nothing. And we just said, "Look, here's we were in a rental house and we worked it out with the landlord, and they took over the lease, and, it, and we left all the furniture, TV, everything, and the car, and said it's all yours. It was given to us, and we're going to keep on giving." By stepping out of the boat, you will get wet. But a lot of times, the 
seeing the people saved, God doing amazing things, God, just a few steps on the water, it's worth it. We talked about this a little bit, Peter being called. It's interesting, he correct, corrects him here in verse 31. It says, immediately uh, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. He says, you had little faith. And why did you doubt? I don't know. If I'm drowning, the last thing I want to hear is, you have little faith. (laughs) Really? Thanks a lot. You called me out. But as Derek said, Jesus won't let you drown. You may get wet. You may get a little bit scared. It was scary sometimes. I'm like, I, I don't know where money's coming for rent. And literally on the 30th of a month, there'll be a donation. Just pop up on the, on the website. $1,000. Boop. And I'm like, honey, you won't believe it. We can pay rent this month. Four years of that, you learn to be content. Four years, you learn to, uh, contentment is a learnt behavior. And God spanked that out of me. <laughs> One of the things we see here with Jesus, we see passion. When he reached down, he says, you of little faith, passion. And then when he reaches down and pulls them up, compassion. What I find, people are either passionate or or compassionate. Very rarely I see people go from passion to compassion or compassion to passion. Even if they do, it's like this. If I'm passionate, well, that was wrong, and I don't know why he did that, and da-da-da-da-da. And my wife may say, you know, what you said there was a little bit harsh. (laughs) Well, he did this. Well, you should have been there. Well, no, Marvin, Marvin. And I'm like, okay, all right. Okay, he did say that. Okay, you did, yeah. What an idiot. Yeah, I got it going. Don't apologize. Don't want to. I don't want to be passionate. But a lot of times, if we're passionate and we have to get on the compassionate side, we have to go through a process. But if we're also compassionate, well, everything, Jesus loves you and just, just pray. I'll just pray for you. I know you're in immorality. I know you've been doing this for months and months and months, but we'll, we'll just pray for you. God is with you. (laughs) And what that person needs is passion. And then somebody talks to him and said, Marvin, what did you say to him? Well, I just said I'd pray for him. But the guy's in sin. He's in chronic sin. Oh, yeah. Well, what are you going to do? Well, I think I need to go back and talk to him. Yes, you do. What what, what scriptures are you going to share with him? Well, 
I mean, Galatians 5 or, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, he is in sin. Okay, I'm, 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 now I'm going to go back. <laughs> but with Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, he can go from passion to compassion like that. Hey. My daughter taught me the whip. And the leg thing. I got down there. I just couldn't get up. I was over at Gordon's. I'm like, Gordon, help me up. No, 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 no. I'll get up by myself. I'll be fine. Yeah. See, that's the great thing having teams, you know. It's kind of fun. So last night, my, my 13-year-old daughter and myself was doing the whip in Gordon Ferguson's living room. But when you step out of faith, Jesus will always be there for you. You may be shaken, but not deterred. I believe that Peter got back in the boat and was shaken like, whoa, what happened? I was drowning. Da, da. And he was probably thinking of himself, but when he dried down a little bit, he say, I just walked on water. I was out there. But you know what? Also, next time, maybe I'll go a few more steps. Why? Why am I going to go a few more steps? Because I know that Jesus will always be there for me and not let me drown. But my question is to you this morning, what is your boat moment? When are you going to get out of the boat? Are you a person in the boat or out of the boat? I don't know what your out of the boat moment may be. I do not know. Mine was God put it on my heart to go to England. I'm not saying that I want my everybody going to England. We have plenty of tea for all of you. And you will be honorary members of the TTT Club. Thank you very much. I don't know what it means to you to get out of the boat. Sometimes it may just be talking to somebody who's really intimidating. Standing up for sin that you know is going on. That may be your out of the boat moment. But if you do it with the right heart and the right spirit... Jesus will be there to pick you up. Let's read on in verse 33 and I will close. How much time have I got? I need to stop? I will stop. Thank you very much. Love you guys. Thank you. You can close that one more. winded it down, but that's all right. Marvin's done. Amen. Uh, You know, guys, I hope you really did appreciate not just the message, but the life behind the message.